Everyone got really mad at us when we were talking about 5G. Yeah, well, what they don't understand is that we're on 3G. Three genius. <laughs> yeah, they did. I, I, you know, I gotta say, there's a lot of, you know, first of all, a lot of, lot of, lot of telecom cucks out there. Uh, but second of <laughs> all, you, you know what I found out recently? You know how, like, whenever I post a screenshot or I have Mehmet post a screenshot to Twitter, mm. it says 5G in the upper right hand corner of my phone, and mm. people are always like circle that. It says mm. 5GE. Apparently, that's just fake. That's like yeah. not, that's just 4G, but they just put it, like, there's no law that says they can't call it 5G, so they just call it 5G, which actually kind of makes me uh, like them. <laughs> well, I just like, I just love people that are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're making jokes about 5G. Oh my God, I can't believe you take it seriously. And it's like, wait, guys, you're saying both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah. anyway, we heard your pleas. Mm-hmm. Your 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 mewlings and your cries, and I I did receive several letters, which made me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> so we've got. Well, we're talking about what are we talking about today? We're talking about the intersection of art, technology, culture. <laughs> I'm sorry, I do this every time we talk about technology. Uh, no, we have we have us uh, with us a really good roundup tonight. We have uh, editor in chief of Wired magazine, uh, Dirk Hitler. Uh, <laughs> we have we have a couple of guys from Slatecast, uh, which is Martin Borman and um, uh, the uh, uh, a guy named Wagner. And then we're yeah, also we got a panel going, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're also joined by fifteen faceless, nameless, screeching she devils from a website called Kotaku, uh, <laughs> who are bare breasted and thus very much distracting me. Uh, Liz, can you can you actually, Young Chomsky, can you dim the lights on their Google DG chat panel? <laughs> <laughs> podcast you know what i fucking despise is when people do like they make some youtube video for instance about uh world war one and then they have the british guy like ai not ai but like the british guy like narration on it you know you can just like make your computer talk in a british accent mm-hmm. when they do that i fucking hate that british guy's accent i think he's okay i don't like him I don't like the lady. Oh, I, I really like her. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I just, you, I do. No, I, I like her. I've never, me. Se- okay, okay, I've okay, never okay. seen her face. Okay. Welcome to Trunon. I'm Liz. Night. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no. We got it. Say it again. No, you're going to do it again. But, uh, uh, I'm Liz. <laughs> I, I didn't no, do it. I, I didn't do it. it. That's called trust. Because That's I thought trust. you were going to say it. No take backs. No take backs. Fuck it. Fuck it. We're going. We'll do it live. Fuck it. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bryce. I no, can't. They didn't do it right. I'm Bryce. I'm Bryce. I'm Bryce. We're going to hold podcast just 10 minutes I'm, of us saying I can't get names. it right. I'm Bryce. <laughs> I'm Bryce. <laughs> and we're... And we're, uh, I'm doing regular voice now, and okay. we're uh, we're joined by producer Young Chomsky. 
And this is, did we already say this is true, Nan? <laughs> if you didn't, then it's my time in the sun, baby. This <laughs> is true, Nan. Stop it, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> oh my God, okay. So we are actually talking about the intersection of technology and art, body spaces, all that jazz today. Mm-hmm. No, we're talking 5G. Mm-hmm. We're talking the internet of things, IOT. That's right. We're talking AI. Oh yeah. Um, and we what else are we got? What else are we talking about? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, related topics. You know, w- w- one thing uh, that because you know, you know, like a lot of people don't realize this, but I have actually been spending um, my entire sort of COVID, uh, let's say, seclusion in in what's called Mazdar City, in uh, right outside of Abu Dhabi. Uh, and so we are, I, I am, I am actually recording right now from a smart city and we'll be touching on several topics, um, related to that. Do you feel smarter? Uh, well I am. So I, I don't want to say, I didn't want to give this away on this episode, but you know, you know where chic is? Mm. I'm, Mm-mm. I'm actually a chic now. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, chic Belden. It's pretty good. <laughs> the first Jewish chic. <laughs> All right. So, uh, would you want to in- introduce our, our guest, or should we just get the interview on the roll? I mean, we introduced him at the beginning. I know. I never know how to do this. You know what? I can't believe we're recording this. It's like we don't even know what we're doing. What are we yeah. even saying? I, 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 I mean, well, fuck. Don't, <laughs> don't do me like this, baby. Let's let it roll. Let it roll. Welcome to the Cyber Zone. Is that what? Is that too much? I, regardless, welcome to the Cyber Zone. Uh, we are here joined by Jathan Sadowski, who, by the I at the end of his last name, I deduce is a fellow Pole, much like Liz. He is the author of Too Smart, How Digital Capitalism is Extracting Data, Controlling Our Lives, and Taking Over the World. And he is here to tell us how to, the, the best way to uh, blow up a 5G tower. Is that correct? Uh, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? It's good. It's good. Just, uh, you know, in lockdown in the cyber zone. <laughs> how, are, how are you guys doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I think I'm handling it pretty, pretty well this week. I, I had a terrific day. I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm juiced. Guys, hear me out here. I can't tell if we're living in dang black mirror or what. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. It is. So we are, I feel like we're going to have a pretty wide ranging discussion. We got um, a little bit of snark on the internet for our musings, our ironic musings on 5G and emerging new digital technologies uh, from the peanut gallery, the Twitter peanut gallery. So we're so excited to have you on. Um, and I think, like I said, I think this conversation is going to go end up going a lot of places. So I kind of wanted to read two things to start 
out to kind of give us a frame. Um, the first is from the philosopher Bung Chul Han, and the second is actually from two pieces that you've written. And I think that there's a way we can kind of connect a thread here that will be a good way to frame this conversation that we start with. So this is from Psychopolitics from 2017. Power that relies on violence does not represent power of the highest order. The mere fact that another will manages to form and turn against the power holder attests to the latter's weakness. Wherever power does not come into view at all, it exists without question. The greater power is, the more quietly it works. Power that is smart and friendly does not operate frontally, i.e. against the will of those who are subject to it. Instead, it guides their will to its own benefit. Smart power cozies up to the psyche rather than disciplining through coercion. It is constantly calling on us to share and participate. And he continues, just drawing a contrast with Naomi Klein. Klein's theory of shock blinds her to the actual workings of neoliberal psychopolitics. Shock therapy is a genuinely disciplinary technique. In contrast, the neoliberal technology of power does not exercise disciplinary coercion. Electroshock owes its efficacy to paralyzing and annihilating the contents of the psyche. Its essential trait is negativity. In contrast, neoliberal psychopolitics is dominated by positivity. Instead of administering bitter medicine, it enlists liking. It flatters the psyche instead of shaking it and paralyzing with shocks. Psychopolitics seduces the soul. It preempts it in lieu of opposing it. This is smart politics. It seeks to please and fulfill, not to repress. So sorry, that was a little long, but I do really want to connect this with two things that you've written about basically... AI as a disciplinary ideology rather than like even a concrete power. And I think we can kind of get into that. And also, as we'll kind of move through these kind of emerging, possibly authoritarian um, impulses that the corona epidemic is kind of unmasking. So you write in Potempian AI, which was from 2018 uh, in Real Life magazine, and we'll, we'll have links to that uh, in the show notes. The disciplining power is much greater if people believe that an inhuman force is tirelessly processing feeds from the ubiquitous cameras rather than groups of human analysts who take time, get fatigued, and make mistakes. Persuading people that the police are using AI is a way to normalize the idea that AI should be, and perhaps more important, already is ceaselessly monitoring society. Again, for the purposes of power and discipline, it matters less if the AI is real or fake. What matters is what people believe. And then this is from a piece you wrote just uh, weeks ago, I believe, uh, also for a real life magazine. By the pragmatist standards, adopting these intrusive surveillance programs to continue the pandemic is at best a gamble. There's a strong case laid out by legal scholar Susan Landau that location surveillance of cell phones does not work for contact tracing because of technical limitations. If a proposed solution is not efficacious, there is no reason to consider the program, Landau writes. But the exigencies of political economy say otherwise. The efficacy challenge does not actually govern policy. Exercising power is not just about effectively achieving particular outcomes or doing what works. It's also deciding the parameters of how those ideas will be defined. So 
Sorry, that was very long, but I wanted to kind of use that as like a general frame for how we understand these like technologies of discipline, both how they exist physically and digitally, right? But also psychologically, which I think is something that you've written really excellently about. Um, and how, you know, like you write, it's less even what the capabilities of the technology are that are, that are but the kind of the, the specter of its possibility that can kind of quiet dissent or quiet uh, contestation of, you know, what these, what these um, you know, technologies are being developed and used for. Yeah, I mean that that psychopolitics quote is so dead on. I was like, ra- like just pumping my fist as you were reading it because <laughs> I I do think it gets to a lot of like it's a very fine line that we have to walk because so much of the technology there's such a like whole industry of marketing and branding around it which pushes its efficacy right like this is going to work it's perfect it's it's un it, it won't glitch it's unmistaking like it's unerring it's going to work and on one hand it's really hard as a critic to not also take on that same kind of assumption that these things are going to work um, in the exact way that their entrepreneurs and inventors say that they're going to. But as you, as you were getting at with the quotes, it doesn't really matter. Cause I mean, like the, like so much of Silicon Valley is about this, like fake it till you make it right. Mm. The technology mm-hmm. is a placeholder. It's a way of normalizing some kind of system until they can actually get the technology to the point where it works uh, in, in approximating in the way that they say it does. So it's like they're kind of priming the pump, getting us used to it mm. by having this really strong marketing push. And then once it is actually there, one, like with the Potemkin AI piece you were talking about, a lot of that was about how so much, you know, quote unquote, artificial intelligence is not is actually powered by human labor, right? It's like office buildings full of like low wage workers doing things that the companies like Facebook or or the Chinese police say is actually artificial intelligence, right? It's it's not not yet because the technology is not there, but that doesn't stop them from trying to kind of like cash out on those disciplinary dividends um, before they can actually make good on that technological promise. Yeah, and you write a, a lot about this in relation to the smart city. Can you give us a little bit of a working definition of kind of what that is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the smart city is such a like massive buzzword, and there's so many competing definitions. Like everyone wants to have their own definition because if you can define it, you can own it. Mm. Um, but I mean, the the kind of like working definition that I go with is that it's a city built on top of and governed by kind of data-driven systems, right? So this kind of like massive real-time collection of data about everything that's happening in the city, how it operates, how people live in it, move through it, the infrastructure, um, and, and feeding that in through these kinds of like network systems that keep everything interconnected, keep all the infrastructure, all the systems, all the people, buildings, et cetera, kind of talking to each other. So it's about this kind of data. It's about networks and it's about automation. How do we then automate the operations of the city? How do we govern the city in a way that's like, you know, optimized by algorithmic analysis or Mm. by some kind of artificial intelligence? So it's about like 
making it's a lot of it is really focused on the operations and the governance of the city and how do we optimize that make it more efficient so the city runs like a well-oiled machine or um, as ibm who's like you know one of the major kind of global proponents and vanguards of the smart city calls conceptualizes the city as a system of systems hmm. well like in in what like in so Sort of more to the specifics, like what would like a smart city look like? Are we talking about like traffic lights? Are we talking about policing or all of it? Yeah. So like the number one example that they always use, but like journalists and these tech companies is always about these like NASA-esque like mission control rooms. You know? Yeah, that's, so you- that's what I picture. Yeah, yeah, it's what we picture, and they these actually do exist. Um, one of IBM's like first ones was in Rio de Janeiro, so mm-hmm. it became this kind of like major example. Like the New York Times wrote this like like all the way back in like 2008 when all this started really rolling out. Like there are all these kind of puff pieces, like this is the city of the future, um, and you know they but but it's supposed to be this kind of like you know you just imagine the Apollo 11 mission or something, you know, you've got a whole wall full of like screens that are showing different views of the city. They're crunching data. There's like, you know, rows of analysts, data analysts sitting there kind of like, you know, real time keeping track of the city, you know, all of this. So that's, I mean, that's the idea of the smart city. And in that is definitely things like, you know, uh, networked and like algorithmically optimized traffic light systems and these kind of like infrastructures um but like you ask what does the smart city look like like there's there's not like there's nothing that when you walk into a like quote-unquote smart city that you're like oh shit i'm in a smart city now dang yeah this is crazy (laughs) this is wild (laughs) like it doesn't feel any different and I think that speaks to a lot about mm-hmm. like who the smart city is for. Uh, yeah. Like right. The, like the users of these like enterprise systems are not the people that live in the cities. It's the people who govern the cities. Right. Um, it's really or, just like a managerial governance structure then at that point. It's. Yeah, it, it, like like the like the the major marketing around it, like the public kind of stuff that like the IBMs and Cisco's and Google and so on kind of talk about really focuses on the like the planners, like planning a city and governing yes. it. So that's like so that kind of side of things. But I, there's like definitely I think a much larger like iceberg kind of much larger beneath the surface idea of who's actually using the smart city and how the smart city is being built. And that is, as, as I've argued, you know, in, in pieces before that it's the police, right? The smart city is for the police. Mm. They're the ones who have the most powerful technologies. They're the ones who are using it the you know, most widely, both like in a city, but also across multiple cities, right? Like, like the, they are the ones who are taking full advantage of the smart city. Well, like you say in in uh, one of the articles that like they're basically you know all these these you know radars and these tracking systems. I mean, it's essentially like a military military hardware or at least policing hardware. And instead of being used solely for the purposes of policing, which obviously is a pretty broad sort of category, it's used to track everything that happens in your life. Which which I think kind of blurs the line between policing and governance. Yeah, I mean the police are. 
they are doing the governments, yeah. right? Um, and and it's and it's it's not like military hardware. A lot of it is actually military hardware. So you've got like you know Palantir is one of the major examples. Friend of, this. of the pod, <laughs> friend of the pod, Palantir, Peter Till. What's up? Big ups. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like you know, so they're literally a CIA backed. Um, data cruncher, like a defense contractor, but then they decided that it was actually more lucrative uh, to sell their wares to to police departments, right? Because there's a lot more police departments than there yeah. are, you know, DODs. Right. Um, and so, I mean, you've got Palantir, you've got a, a lot, of, like, irony is dead, because, like, Palantir, you know, named after the all-seeing stones from Lord of the Rings. Fucking nerds. Um, yeah. You know, another one of these more kind of, like, analog uh, surveillance is another uh, system or another company called Persistent Surveillance Systems. Mm-hmm. Persistent Surveillance Systems. Yeah. So, Great it's, like, low-flying low, it's low flying aerial surveillance that orbits around the city and kind of like captures what this, what the founder called like TiVo for the city. So it's like recording everything that's happening in like a 10 square mile radius. And then you can like fast forward, rewind, pause to like follow the movement of a specific vehicle or something, you know, and that technology originated from a military um, like military lab for the Iraq War in Fallujah, and then the the guy like retired from the military, owned the IP somehow still for this technology, and was like, "I'm going to start marketing this to um, police departments in the U.S. in Mexico, like whoever's going to whoever's going to buy it." Incredible. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I think you know, so much of this stuff too is, is really like kept from the public or, or you mentioned that like the, there's the difference between, like you say, a kind of iceberg where the stuff public facing is, you know, oh, these are, you know, the internet of things and all of these things are going to be outfitted. And then the one behind the scenes is all the information about the, you know, it coming from like a DOD contractor and who, what companies they're partnering with and you know, all those companies, what contracts they have with municipalities, because municipalities are so starved from state budgets that they have to, you know, they outsource all of this stuff to private companies and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of a snowball effect there. Yeah, like municipal, exactly. So municipalities, you know, the companies are stepping in because of austerity to kind of promise these solutions, right? Like you can do more with less. That's always the mantra, like efficiency, efficiency, do more with less. So municipalities, I mean, you know, you can't really blame them when a big tech company is saying like, we can solve all of your, all of your operate operational problems for, for, for nothing. You know, they're like, all right, do it. But the irony of that is that the one like the one agency in cities that does have a ton of money are the police, right? So like they're Mm -hmm. getting it from both sides because they're getting all this like DHS funding, like Homeland Security. It's all being done under this like anti-counterterrorism mandate. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me like I, 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 I can see essentially why cities would get into this in the first place, especially... If, for instance, one of these big companies, Google, whatever, I, I know Google's trying to build some smart city like outside of Toronto, I think. But yeah, like it's in Toronto. 
In, yeah. Uh, well, one of the smartest cities on earth, anyways, even without Google. <laughs> but uh, what, like, it's it's I could see them sort of being able to 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 capture cities in this sense because cities, a lot of city governments, excluding the one that I'm in, San Francisco, but a lot of city governments across the nation are starved for money. And if a company like Google or IBM steps in and says, well, we will not only outfit your city with all this new stuff, but we will do it for free. Well, it could be similar to, to something like what they do with Project Nightingale, where they their, their health insurance scam, where they where they basically got 50 million people's health data, you know, in gross violation, although not actually apparently of HIPAA, uh, for free. I mean, it could be the same thing. It's like, okay, well, we'll do this for you if you basically let us scrape or don't ask us what we're doing with this data. I, I that, that seems like the most logical thing to happen for me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I've been trying to map out the political economy of this in, in, in my head, but there, there's, there was an opening in 2008 after the, the financial crash where Wall Street took this major hit and but there's still a lot of capital looking for somewhere to put right so like real estate was was gone like the finance industry was gone right like insurance was still was was like struggling they were trying to figure it out so a lot of capital got fed into technology like it's no coincidence that something like the smart city originated by IBM and Cisco around the same exact time in 2008 at the end of mm. 2008. It's no coincidence that Uber and Airbnb were founded in 2008 and 2009, respectively, yeah. right? Like, none of these are coincidences because they saw openings, right? Like, Uber and Airbnb saw an opening in the city because of austerity, because they weren't able to provide these kinds of public services. So they saw an opening to kind of disrupt it, to take it over, right? IBM and Cisco saw an opening in the cities um, to, to, to move in with the smart city stuff to be like, we can revamp the city. So, you know, while everybody was kind of like down and out, you know, the, the tech giants, all this venture capital, they became the big dog in town and they're still riding on that high from the, the, the 2008 crash. So what kind of data are they? I mean, I, I, this is something I've always, I'm always confused about. Like, what are they doing with this data? Because so far, it seems like the only thing anyone's figured out is, like, just to sell us, like, skinny tea ads on Instagram. For instance. As a for instance. <laughs> Uh, well, now you're going to get a lot more skinny tea ads, Liz, <laughs> after saying that. She doesn't need it. They know the algorithm knows she's skinny. <laughs> yeah, it was, that, that was a... All right, so it's a good question. What are they doing with all this data? I mean, a lot of it is advertising, right? Like, like yeah, I mean, Google gets like 90-something percent of its revenue is still advertising. Facebook, right? Like, So these massive companies are actually like super... Uh, profitable on advertising, but of course they're doing a they're collecting a lot more data, mm -hmm. and not all of that data is about economic capital or trying to change it into money, which is what advertising is, right? It's a way of trying to take data capital and turn it into economic capital into money, um, but that's not always the case. So so something like Palantir, this kind of like you know policing technology, they're collecting a ton of data too. 
but they're not trying to turn it into money. They're trying to turn it into power. Right. right. They're trying to turn it into into control, into management, into governance, and they are. They're doing it. We don't always see the effects of that because we're not the ones being targeted by it. Right. Like they're collecting data about us, but they're still targeting the same groups. Right. They're still targeting people of color. They're still targeting poor people. They're still targeting the same geographies um, of the kind of like vulnerable and oppressed. Right. Like like it's a, a lot of this is about doing what you were already doing, but now like wash them, then now you can launder it through data, through algorithms, mm. make it objective, right? But it's it's shit in, it's shit out. It's injustice in, it's injustice out. Like if if all of your policing data is like overrepresenting certain groups or certain neighborhoods and you feed that into an algorithm that's supposed to predict where in the next like crime is going to happen or who's going to do right, it. Right, right, right. Um, then all you're doing is just like, predicting what you already knew because it was already like overrepresented in the spies data. Well, and encouraging even more policing of that area, which is only going to increase, you know, crime, you know, and it's, it's a cycle that then fulfills itself. And people say, you know, this is always my whole thing with algorithms. It's like, you know, the al people always are like, um, I mean, I don't know, you know, people are like, Oh, the algorithms are racist or, Oh, the algorithms are targeting this or targeting that. And it's like, no, but the people are writing the algorithm. It's not, you're not going to, you're not going to, it's not the algorithm itself, right? I mean, it is, but it, that's not the point. And if you don't deal yeah. with the actual material disparities that are producing the person who's writing the, the, the algorithm, right? And what they're responding to, you, you, you know, because some people are like, well, just fix the algorithm. And it's like, you can't just, but that's not going to fix anything, yeah, like I'm, yeah. My, my main objective is not, I mean, obviously I, I object, you know, a lot of algorithms, I, like I agree with what Liz is saying, but I'm against the existence of the algorithm to begin with. Mm. Like, I don't <laughs> like the algorithm at all. I'm, I'm against, you know, the underlying causes of the algorithm, but I'm also, to be clear, no algorithm against the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're totally getting at it here, though, too, where it is like this... It's a it's a very like ironically vulgar materialism mm. because it's like so focused on the technology. So it's like, oh, it's materialist. Like we're focused on the technology, the yeah. algorithm, the data. It's like, no, you gotta you gotta take that back a little bit. Like there's people behind that. And the, and and those technologies are materializing certain interests. They're yes. prioritizing certain values, right? That's the key there. It's like I'm with Brace, like I hate the algorithm, but I hate the algorithm because it represents like capitalism it represents yeah. this like oppressive domination right like it's a tool for that not by accident because it was made to do those things by those people mm. but like, like you were saying though like the, all these tech companies saw an opening in like 2008 2009 and 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 we we touched on this for a bit earlier but i think a lot of companies are seeing an opening right now too uh it's with 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 the covid outbreak uh mm -hmm. you know for, to roll out I mean, whatever psychotechnologies they've been brewing up in their <laughs> Dr. Mengele's fucking laboratories. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 we talked about Palantir. Palantir has actually been meeting with, with, uh, with, with Donald Trump, et cetera, in the White House to, uh, to talk about contact tracing, which uh, oh, buddy. is giving me a little bit of pause. <laughs> Palantir is partnering with the NHS in the UK. Woo! Pal 
Palantir is in it because they're like, look, we've got, so Palantir's technology is based on a technique that they call social network analysis, right? It was designed to find terrorists and find all the people and addresses and things that are associated with known terrorists. So you can kind of like map out that whole like terror network. You can get a full picture of this, the, the cell, right? And so they like use that and they're like, well, shit, if we can do it with terrorists, we can also do it with criminals. We can see like, you know, in a city, like who are all the people associated with this known criminal? And then we can map out this whole like crime network. That's just contact tracing. That's exactly yeah. what it is, mm -hmm. right? So, so this is a crisis that is like tailor made. I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna say tailor made because <laughs> you know the peanut gallery is gonna have well, some words about that. Let's just but, say we don't know where it came from exactly. Yeah, in the wet market of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> We're, let's not talk about intentions, but let's talk about functions. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> But so, like, Palantir, like, they're, boom, like, you know, contact tracing, but they're also working with, so if you look on their website, they've got a list of people that they're working with on corona um, response, but they're very secretive. So you, can so you can assume that they're working with a lot more people and organizations than they list, but they list things like a large Anglo-Australian mining company that they're doing work for on... Um, uh, logistics. They list a major gas and oil retailer that they are mapping out the and keeping track of the, like uh, like fifty thousand employees of this this uh, gas and oil company um, to to keep them safe, right? Mm, to kind of keep yeah, of keep tabs on them. So they they are they are, they saw an opening for their social network analysis, and they they are in it. They're moving from. You know, from crime to contagion, it's all the same thing to them. Yeah, this is kind of why I want to just circle back real quick to or bring back that that um, quote from Psychopolitics, because I do think it's interesting that these, you know, these technologies in Palantir, even with, as you rightly point out, the like horrifying name, comic book villain name of the company, is that like you know, people engage with and are receptive to these new kind of technologies of surveillance because they are kind of, they're marketed or sold to them as like positive good things. That yeah. and, and Corona really opens up. I never know to call it Corona or COVID. It's always like depending on how I feel. <laughs> you know, I do it. I go with the wind on it, you know? I know. It's kind of fun to, whoop, what am I to say next? Um... <laughs> Just don't say the Roni. I no, I don't like. I, that. I don't like that either. Mm -mm. I do like it. I do like calling it uh, nineteen though. Ooh, just nineteen. <laughs> like, nice. Yeah, like some nice. people call Trump forty-five. I'm like, I'm always like, yeah. <laughs> the listen, nineteen. That's I kind of bad. I like that. Participating that sounds like the next, with you. I don't want nineteen. That sounds like the next Netflix dystopian TV yes. series. Yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but okay. So I I want to bring it back to that because it's you know. Uh, it, in con I love the way that he contrasted it with Naomi Klein's shock doctrine because he's saying like, no, 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 there isn't this sort of like moment of rupture where a dominating power comes in and like kind of, you know, electrocutes you into submission. Like it's actually the complete opposite, the way these kind of new dominating powers work, where it's all based on actual like acceptance and, and to the point of like almost asking for it. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of like that relationship that you're put in, that was probably not the best way to put that, but you know, like, 
um, where, you know, all these new sort of, you know, contact tracing or, you know, thermal mapping or whatever all these companies are doing get to be sold as, you know, pub for public health or to strengthen communities. And, and, and it's how you get people to buy in. And, and that buy-in is absolutely crucial to, to the continued uh, domination. Completely. I mean, I like I, to me, it's impossible not to think about this in relation to 9-11 and post 9-11, mm. right? Because yeah. right now it's public health, but back then it was national security, right? But it's, but it's this, these same kind of like concepts are being used in the same exact reason for the same exact kind of like patriotism kind of buying in, right? Like, and you're exactly right, Liz. I mean, this is how you get people to buy in. This is how you COVID wash your, your technology or your system um, because it's about public health. And if you're against Palantir partnering with the NHS to make sure that their contract tracing is more accurate, then you are against all of the people that have been sick, all of the people that are uh, mm. being impacted economically, socially, physically by the pandemic. You are actively working against their interest because you criticize Palantir doing this. Yeah, it's it's I think it's important to have that sort of buy-in from from the public there. I mean, famously in Spain, uh I believe it was when the French got kicked out and 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 sort of the the entire uh idea of like an electoral democracy, anything like that, constitutional government was thrown out. Uh people rioted in sort of like a jubilee of ecstasy, screaming long live our chains because they had <laughs> bought in to that so much. And you need that. You can't like have a, a despotism with, with, I mean, you can't, you can rule by force, but it's not, it's not nearly as effective as ruling by a sort of, uh, I mean, let's say not to be a corny guy about this, but a manufactured consent. And I think that's really important. I think that COVID provides perfect, perfect cover for that. Because, you know, if, if, if I had to ask myself very early on during this, like what number of deaths do I find acceptable? Uh, over let's say contact tracing and like extreme surveillance, anything like that. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how many, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what I think, obviously <laughs> like it does, you know, it's that they're, they're not, uh, they're not asking me my opinion on this, but, uh, but it, it's, it's something hard to look at. And I, I don't think it's a very pretty number to be honest with you, because like it's, I've seen some of the technology that has been proposed to deal with Corona, which, 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 just, I mean, it seems terrifying. They had that camera that can tell how far apart you are for, from somebody. What it does when it does see that you're six feet, that you're close to somebody, I, I, it does not say, you know, what sort of penalty you accrue for being within three feet of somebody, for instance. And then those heat mapping cameras we were talking about before we started rolling. I mean, that, that, that terrifies me. I mean, it's a terrible question to have to ask yourself mm -hmm. that you know that what's that threshold of acceptable but that but on one hand that kind of like utilitarian calculus puts us on like it starts the debate on the wrong premises right okay and it, it i think it starts the discussion with this like kind of false dilemma false trade-off from the very beginning because now all of a sudden it is set up as a debate between um, liberty and security between yeah. surveillance and health, right? And I mean, like, 
this is familiar to us, but it's familiar because it's it's a really effective tactic of framing this rather than saying like why aren't why aren't you you know the government the people in power why why are you turning to these kinds of like mass surveillance and like you know techno technological solutions and population management and why are you turning to these techniques versus the techniques that we know work and work humanely right widespread testing, providing people with um, medical care, providing people with economic assistance, right? Like, we know these things work. Um, things like providing people with support for isolation, for social distancing, right? Like, we know these things are what's effective. So, so what's, what's going on here that we're looking for this, like, silver bullet technological solution and then forcing people to have to ask themselves those yeah. questions that you raised, Brace, of, like, how, how, how many people can I live with, you know, dead people can I live with on my conscience if it means that, you know, uh, we don't have this AI or this technology or whatever. It's like, no, that's the, that's, that's the wrong framing from the get-go. I yeah. mean, it's, a, it's the wrong framing for some people, but unfortunately the answer with me is a lot. <laughs> well, I would say that, you know, also that's a framing that helps only yeah. the people in charge. It doesn't exactly. help anyone else. It's a completely paralyzing framework, which is exactly its purpose, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense because, I, you know, I realized that the reason I was using that framework, or at least I was thinking sort of personally in that framework is because when this all started, we were we were pit up with a choice of of the economy and people's basically in essence people's financial security versus people staying alive. Mm -hmm. When actually it should be like, well, why isn't the government just money's fake? Just give me some, you know? Yeah, I mean, where's the money printer, right? Exactly, like, there literally just, is one. Well, there literally, we know there is one. <laughs> I mean, even just beyond money printer, it's like, yeah, we can just plan the economy. You could just centrally plan the economy and we Absolutely. wouldn't have to deal with any of this. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, what but instead, we need mm -mm. is blood sacrifice to the market. And we exactly. need to decide how many old people are willing to die so that we can open up the bars and salons and, you know, whatever. And believe well, you me, it is a literal blood sacrifice. <laughs> We are not being metaphorical here. They are actually trying to summon Baphomet. Well, speaking I, of Peter Till. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you know, now that we're talking about blood sacrifice, we should bring up 5G, which is the technology that is going to, I mean, it's going to enable all of these systems to work. I mean, isn't that the case now? They're saying Bluetooth technology won't be able to support these sorts of systems. That they that they are interested in implementing, or that they're designing to implement these sort of you know mass social mapping systems, but our old friend, our frenemy, five G is 5G. here to save the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've gotten a lot of shit for our our humorous takes on five G. So why don't we just start off with what is five G? Five G. As they'll tell you, the G stands for generational, not gangster, not not the five gangsters. But uh, so 5G is the fifth generation of telecom, right? Like right now we're on 4G. 
So, I mean, if we kind of map out what those G's mean in a really kind of like broad sense, right? Like a, one G was analog. It was, it was the phone. It was voice. Um, two G was things like text messaging. Third G brought us the mobile web. Four G is where we're at now where we can do things like, um, you know, downloading like YouTube videos or watching YouTube or like doing Zoom on our phone or whatever. And five G, that brings us to like, new levels that we've never even imagined in terms of like what the technology can do. Um, so I think the, the, the two main things that they talk about with like the, where 5G is upgrading us, it's about speed and latency. Mm. So speed is about how, how many, how much data can you be downloading and uploading? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, 5G right now, like 4G, you know, tops out at about two gigabytes per second download speeds. Like that's the fastest. Um, they're talking about 5G being like 20 gigabytes per second. So a tenfold increase um, in speed. And the way they always, ex like the example that people always use is that you can download a full high definition movie in four seconds with 5G. Like, that's wild. I mean, who, yeah, that, it, it's wild, right? It's wild. Who needs their movie like that quick? But, you know, you're trying to Netflix and chill at the last minute and you need that, that, that high def movie. Are you like um, looking at the girl? You're like, she looks like she works at Beacon's Closet. I need a Fellini film. <laughs> so that is a very specific instance and, there. And latency. Now, what do you mean by latency? So latency is about the time it takes between signals. Um, mm. So right now, 4G is like 10 millisecond latency. So, so if you send a signal to a device or something, there's like a 10 millisecond lag, basically, um, between like you sending that signal and you getting one in return. Mm. So it's basically... But, uh, like this, the towers that they're building, that they'll, they can communicate with each other very quickly. Very quickly. So 5G, they're talking like one millisecond. So again, like wow. a, ten, a tenfold um, decrease in, in latency. So for our listeners, just to illustrate that, right now, this is a millisecond, or this is 10 milliseconds, and this is one millisecond. But that's a... <laughs> So you know, it's a yeah. layman's effort at it, but nailed it. <laughs> so, so five G is happening everywhere. I was reading that the FCC. The, I mean, they basically have removed all um, like environmental and historic protection reviews. There's like no, they don't really have like waiting periods for people for cities to kind of like stipulate whether or not they want these in their, you know, in their districts or whatever um it's just it's happening right why is that <laughs> uh, yeah so it's like rolling out you know they say it's nationwide but it's still mm -hmm. very it is still very like piecemeal and patchwork yeah um and and like some carriers are kind of like you know dominating the market in some cities but it's still very it's still like the infrastructure project is still at the very beginning um and so i mean to the question of like why is that i mean on, on, because it's like i mean at the base level there's it, it's it's gonna be a huge economic boom mm -hmm. right they're like they're talking you know one statistic um you keep seeing is that it's going to 
to lead to trillions of dollars of, of like economic gain and like tens of thousands of new jobs, right? So here, I guess, so, so some industry analysts, and you see this number across multiple articles, um, predict that 5G could generate up to $12.3 trillion in goods and services by 2035 and add 22 million jobs in the U.S. alone. So, like, that's the kind of economic story there, right? Like, with this new, like next generation telecom infrastructure project, we're going to be producing more, um, more goods, more services, making more jobs. But on the, like, at an even baser level than that, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's a huge boon for, for the telecom companies, for right, the Verizons, right, right. for the Sprints, for the Huawei, right? Like, like they are going to be making a lot of money um, by rolling out and, and, and owning this infrastructure, right? Like this is, 5G is, this has been described as the critical infrastructure for global transformation. Like it's going to touch everything. Nothing will be left unchanged by the 5G revolution. <laughs> I, I, I dislike that very much, my friend. <laughs> so how much of that though is like telecom industry PR and how much of it is actually kind of true, I guess, is my question. Yeah, and this really gets back to what we we started off talking with, yeah. right? Like what like what's actually working and what's not working. And right now it's still very early to tell because obviously like a lot of the predictions and a lot of the the hype around 5G is still just that. It's predictions and hype. Um because it doesn't really exist in any kind of like meaningful way yet. So when they talk about what it can do, I mean some examples of that is um, you know, on the consumer tech side, it means things like downloading that Fellini film, like at the drop of a hat. Um, but it also means like opening up the ability for like uh, VR, like virtual reality and augmented reality to become like, uh, you know, actual like kind of consumer grade things that we can do. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, so it's opening up those kinds of capabilities. It means being able to to have access to extremely high speed, low latency um, internet anywhere where you mm -hmm. have 5G. So you can do things like, um, you know, like in South Korea where they do have 5G, like at a much higher rate than we than we do in the U.S. Um, or in Australia or wherever. Um, it, it, like examples that some of the consumer tech reviewers give is that you can have like really high resolution, really smooth video chatting on your phone. Um, so you, so, so, you know, they talk about that as like something really cool and awesome. So a lot of the consumer great during COVID too, or COVID 20, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the next, when the next COVID comes, um, we will all have 5g by then. And then we like, we don't even have to leave our apartment. We can all go meet up in like a virtual saloon. Well, it's um, funny how <laughs> these technologies and then powers of domination keep reifying each other. Isn't that so funny? What a coincidence. It's it's all just a big coincidence, Liz. That's mm. all it is. Okay, so let me just really quickly defend the like five G conspiracy theorists and the or I would say also the people really pushing back in their localities uh, on the like imposition of five G. And the reason I want to defend that is because you know the government in you know all over the world, but you know especially in America, has a really rich history of 
poisoning people and poisoning communities, uh, you know, either with uh, toxic waste or lead paint or, you know, chemical dumps, uh, you know, giving generations cancer with, you know, materials that at the time everyone was told are perfectly safe and you're insane if you push back on any of it. And so the kind of shit that people get for having questions and being suspicious of impositions of commercial new commercial technology and and you know these these you know new towers is like completely reasonable and i I just don't understand why why or i do understand and i you know and i really hate that people are are so dismissive of of these people's concerns you you might even say it's it's a pretty privileged position mm. to just outright <laughs> there dismiss. We go. That's the buzzword. <laughs> but honestly, you're you're totally right because there is this long history of injustice, infrastructural, industrial, environmental, medical. Like there's this nexus of injustices and a long history of it, which is the context for these conspiracies, and it's the context that like gets completely washed away in any kind of like debunking or any kind of like calling this like, you know, calling these people like dumb and stupid and kind of talking down to them. Right. Like, like you, they like that. Yeah. That context of injustice is never put in place. And you're, you're totally right. Like on one hand, like you can't blame some people and you can't blame these people for being at the very least skeptical of what 5g means and and if i can roll this back a little bit and talk a little bit more about what the like infrastructure Mm -hmm. for 5g looks like i think that provides some good background as to why people are worried and why honestly we all should be a little bit like "Mm," about it um so like the way 5g works um the it's these like the the really top level five like the like the powerful five G operates at these high frequency millimeter waves right and on the infrastructural sense they don't travel nearly as far as the four G signals um, so like the five G's like millimeter waves will travel from a like cell like cell base station um, around a thousand feet. Um, before they drop off, as opposed to a 4G, like 200-foot tower, um, signal from that can reach several miles, right? So, um, and the 5G signal is, like, susceptible to a lot of obstacles, so it can be blocked by walls and trees, windows, weather, like rain, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it can, like, degrade the signal. So, the new infrastructure, and it is, like, they are having to build, like, like billions or trillions of dollars of infrastructure for this kind of like full coverage, like nationwide yeah. full coverage. Um, that new infrastructure has to be dense, like like really, really dense. We're talking like while the base stations for 5G are small compared to like a like a cell tower, there needs to be a lot of them, like millions, tens of millions of them. We're talking cell relays every like 500 feet. Wow. For full coverage. Wait, and yeah. like these are are these like little boxes? Are they? I mean, because I I read that people were were sort of incensed because they were getting put in some churches and they were being put places with basically. I mean, obviously they don't. In, they're not going to ask your input if they put one in your fucking apartment building. 
absolutely not like no one has input on on this um and like like the commissioner of the fcc has called criticism of this infrastructure nimbyism run amok yes and which is more Ooh, yeah don't get me stuck (laughs) which is i'm just gonna show yimbies that is your that is your man out there the people burning down cell phone towers those are my fellow let's go i'll be honest a bit of a nimby (laughs) <laughs> but yeah so the size of these cell t- like these these relay stations they vary so they are like depending on the in-place infrastructure they can just be a box with like antennas yeah. and electronics and stuff that can be kind of like attached to an existing tower um in places where that the infrastructure for that to be kind of like installed is not fully there it might be like a refrigerator sized box like on the ground as a kind of like base station and then have a like smaller box kind of like up high on a on a tower but you're right like I mean, we're talking, you know, every 500 feet, which means like strapping them to streetlights on buildings and hallways, um, like embedding them in manhole covers, like they have to be everywhere for full coverage to even be possible. But isn't that also just like, I mean, I don't even know what advocate I'm playing here. I don't think it's the devils, but like. What, like it, it's very possible then for those to break easier. And for you to lose coverage, I would guess. I don't know. It seems also just like, it seems absurd to have to place these little boxes everywhere. I mean, this must be like uh, really vital, I guess, to them, like 5G. It's, and it, and what, 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 what sort of strikes me is that like, you know, you mentioned the statistic of 22 million jobs earlier or that somebody had, had that, that statistic has been repeated a lot. It strikes mm-hmm. me more as, and the way I've always viewed 5G is actually something that comes and takes your job. Because they talk about automation, and I know specifically in my union, the ILWU, uh, in the Port of Los Angeles, uh, they were really mm-hmm. pushing a hard rollout of 5G. And in fact, they had a, a sort of test port with, with trucks, basically, oh, you know, like, a, I, I don't know the actual statistic, but like a greatly reduced workforce where everything from the trucks to the things loading was all automated using 5G. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about like how this might be used in a consumer sense, but really like the quote unquote killer app for 5G is going to be industrial. Like it's going to be about things like automated seaports. It's going to be about things like fully networked autonomous factories. Like it is about, I mean, it's explicitly about hypercharging, supercharging um, automation and AI, right? That's what it's. That's what it's about. Because if you have five G, then not only are like is everything able to be connected in that kind of like Internet of Things kind of way, where it's all like collecting and transmitting data and talking to each other and stuff. It's able to do so with more speed and higher latency or lower latency. But it's also able to do things like, like. Um, uh, store things in in the cloud. It's able to run artificial intelligence off of the cloud because the speeds are so fast. Yeah. So it opens up all these possibilities for like you know anything. Anything could have a like high powered artificial intelligence kind of running it because you no longer have to have that local. It can all be based in some like remote cloud server mm. somewhere else, right? And and so, but yeah, industrial uses are the are where like the rubber really hits the road with 
with how 5G is going to um and 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 you know another big case they use is like this is going to finally activate um autonomous vehicles. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something I've read the big Uber map that where everything and that comes in, into play with the smart cities too and that's why 5G mm-hmm. is so necessary for these so-called I call them uh dumb Mm-mm. cities because <laughs> oh. this all sounds so fucking stupid to me. But they, they, they need 5G in order f- for, for these, these cars to work. And, I, you know, I, I live in San Francisco. I see these cars everywhere now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I rarely see them actually not being driven by somebody. But, but it, it strikes me as like you know, they don't really work very well right now. Uh, they, they look like they won't for maybe a while. But, but 5G is, is huge. It's a huge leaps and bounds advantage for them. And, 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 and it absolutely would make them work better, right? Exactly. It's, it's that infrastructure, right? Like, like the, another kind of analog that I've heard is describing 5G as like this generation's highway, Mm. right? It's that massive of an infrastructure project and it lays quite literally like lays the groundwork for everything else to be built on top of it. But like the highway... I mean, those were extremely, I mean, those decimated some communities. They put a highway right in the middle of San Francisco and demolished whole poor neighborhoods. And that, I see, that analog really does make a lot of sense to me. I mean, it gets back to exactly what Liz was saying. That's exactly right. Right? Like, that, that, the, if we're if we're gonna call this you know the new highway, the information superhighway, you might even say. Mm, I came up with that coined registered trademark um (laughs) then we have to also ask questions about the injustices of that right like as you were saying as liz was saying who who's being demolished you know so that you can lay down the tarmac of this hall of this highway right like whose houses are that being laid over whose lives are being disrupted by that and and right now we're doing a lot to discredit any kind of criticism uh, uh, from from those people and you know calling them you know they're all just loony right that's all they are they're just loony well the thing too for me is like the the thing about uh, this is what i always remind people about self-driving cars is that like none of the self-driving cars work because our actual physical infrastructure is so bad Mm. that the cars cannot operate on the roads that we have and you talk about kind of the physical always kind of interjecting itself into the digital, if we're still calling this digital, although I guess that's contestable. But, you know, we talk about, you know, like what you're saying about, you know, what communities or or where these technologies are being deployed. It's like, they're not going to send, they're not going to put in the money and the investment into redoing every single road in non-capital city centers. Mm for autonomous vehicles. And so when you talk about like the rollout of 5G and what those will then what that'll kind of what those networks will then be used for in already existing completely austere communities and rural communities and places where capital has completely fled, it will be I mean, there won't be self-driving cars. There won't be the consumer side of 5G that will be empowered. It will be completely oppressive, completely, you know, the police state like that you're talking about, surveillance, and used in the, you know, industrial capacities, getting people, you know, 
subjugated to these new systems. And in the capital city centers, they'll make the investment to make San Francisco a smart city, to make Las Vegas, remake it a new capital city center Singapore of the West or whatever they're going to do with what remains of the detritus of the COVID ill casinos or whatever. But so, you know, those disparities are going to be even more radical than even just within these new smart cities themselves. Like you're really looking at like, I mean, a completely binary, like completely binary state in a lot of ways that I think kind of mirrors what we see in this weird new, I mean, that we've talked about on the podcast, this weird new economy emerging of the people who can work from home and those who can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the people who serve those exactly, who work from exactly. home. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and those are the people where it's going to be the people who are consumers and the people who are not of this new digital infrastructure. Yeah, I mean... You know, if they're building 5G in Detroit, who do you who do you think that's for? Right. right? Yeah. You think that's for the residents of Detroit so that they can download a movie in four seconds, or you think that's for the the police? Do you or you think that's for these platforms who are going to be owning and operating the services, like the city services? Like, I mean, exactly. And then just the one StockX office because they need their like hyper download speeds <laughs> for their like sneaker stock market or whatever. Well, there's also, there's also, I mean, it, you can look up videos of this, of these sort of uh, model factories they've built to show off like 5G's prowess at automation. And I'll tell you what, you do not need a lot of people working there. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, they, you already see it like being rolled out in, in the restaurant industry. But imagine like th that is with today's technology, like tomorrow's technology, which they are rolling out, uh, is, is, is going to be. I mean, just much more intense and much more widespread than that. Yeah. So should we get into actually mapping out what some of the conspiracies <laughs> are around 5G? Well, there's first, it, it is that it, 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 A, that it gives you cancer, right? <laughs> that cell yeah, phones so that's give like, you cancer. That's like, that's the, that's the original mm. 5G conspiracy. Classico. Um, is, that's Classico, Yeah. So, so it's, it's giving you cancer. And then obviously there's like the, the, the new Corona wave, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the new edition of the 5G conspiracies. But there's, there's multiple different things going on there as well. There, there's not just like one conspiracy around 5G and Corona. There, there's, a, there's like a hierarchy mm. of, 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 of more popular conspiracies. Well, um, I've so I've always I've always heard that cell phones, you know, like sort of like the layman's rumor or whatever, is that cell phones gave you cancer. But I also just like don't trust any studies that come out from anybody who says they don't. I'm not saying that they do. I'm just also saying that like I'm not exactly sold that they don't because who the fuck do you think <laughs> is funding these motherfucking studies? Fucking nailed it. Right. So much of this just follow, follow the money and it's going to lead you down all the right rabbit holes. Because, I mean, that is a major issue with research on um, the, these network infrastructures and signals is that it's all either funded by the telecom yep. or, they are, or they interfere mm -hmm. with research on this, right? There is like a, a, a paltry amount of actual independent 
research that is not somehow funded or inter or touched by the telecom industry. Um, and so, like, it might very well be sound scientific work, but the fact that it's all like industry financed. Can can you blame people for mistrusting it for there being all this actual like like uncertainty within you know experts saying that like basically like the 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 most credible most skeptical expert line that people like that people can say is there just needs to be more research right because yes. if you say anything more than that then you are like discredited as a as a as a crank right? and, you're and outside the mainstream. And, and you got to think about that. Like there is such a sort of reflexive defense of these giant telecom companies where it's like, yes, I, I, I mean, I have seen absolutely zero proof and it does not appear to be scientifically possible perhaps for, for 5G to spread uh, coronavirus. <laughs> However, I am so much more on the side of the lone crank who thinks it does spread coronavirus than I am at that fucking John Legere motherfucker who's in head of, I think, Verizon. It's like, <laughs> it's not even a question, you know? And it's like, I, I think a lot of these sort of conspiracies are pushed to the fore, and you do see so much press about uh, anti-5G conspiracies, and I think part of that is to make people reflexively defend the rollout of 5G and to not question mm. whether it's a good thing. Because if you think it's a bad thing, well, then you're like these, you know, wackos who are burning down, burning down the towers. Um, but I, I, why? And, and if, essentially, it's getting people to do it's 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 you know it's it's putting a spell on them essentially to get them to defend their own eventual possible job loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. This is a massive problem with the discourse around technology in general. Like if you're really plugged into like the tech discourse in, in the way that I am, you see people out there just like standing for these 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 technologies and for these entrepreneurs and stuff where it's like, motherfucker, do you have stock in this company or something? <laughs> it's like, like, no, they just have this reflexive need to be like, technology is good. And if you don't like it, then, then you are, you are wrong. I mean, one of my favorite lines that I read um, about this, but you see this sentiment all over the place is from a, 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 a Slate article about the 5G COVID conspiracies. And it says, um, fi quote, finally, the conspiracies sow distrust in a technology that, like it or not, will be a major site of national investment in the coming years. Like it or not, resistance is futile, exactly. right? Like it's this total deterministic, like Borg kind of complex. Um, but 5G is just especially bad about this, but it's something that's common to like all technology, right? People are just like, like it or not, here it's coming. You, know, you, you can't stop it. So your only choice is to welcome it. But that's what's so wild to me because, I mean, you know, I understand that, but at the same time, it's like, okay, the other choice isn't to just, I mean, okay, the, you know, there's a political calculation you can make about resisting, you know, kind of as a strategy or whatever. But like, why, like, we need to kind of like um, reinvigorate the sciences and technology with 
material with dialectical materialism, which is which I mean, which is what I mean to say is that all of this is contestable, and the fact that there is such a like reticence or like hesitate hesitation or reflexive like reaction to demanding to have a democratic voice in the trajectory of technological advancement. It's like no Marxism that I understand, just like from, uh, I mean, not to sound like a Stalinist or whatever, but I, I mean, I really just like don't, I, I don't understand that at all. And there seems to be just a, not just a retreat, but like a disinterest from any kind of um, like, taking any part or even encouraging those at the forefront of these, um, you know, uh, you know, the development of these new technologies and, and, you know, the scientists to kind of like have political charged discussions about the trajectory of these, you know, new technologies. No, you, you've exactly nailed it. I mean, there's, something that is so political right like technology is so political from end to end yeah. uh, because it it it's a way that governs our mm. lives in in a way that almost nothing else does and but it, but the the it's been depoliticized in the kind of discussion and and the analysis of mm -hmm. technology has been completely depoliticized um but you but you're totally right in that like when there is no democratic control over technology, when there is no participation in decisions about what technologies are made and for whose benefit and what interest and so on, when there's when there's none of that, it's going to lead to this kind of like quiet acquiescence in the core, right? Where people are kind of like, what can I really do about it? Like, you know, I'll accept the like marginal pittance of like a more convenient thing or a more faster thing um, because like that's all that I can really that's all that that's trickled down to me but on the fringes that acquiescence gives way to these kind of like violent outbursts mm -hmm. right it's a reaction to that systemic powerlessness it's a reaction to that long history of injustice and it's a reaction that's looking for some kind of outlet Absolutely. And you can't really, it's hard to blame people. It's hard to blame people for it. I mean, like you talk about the 5G towers, right? Like, like if we, if we extracted it from this kind of like crank discourse, right? Like, oh, this is all like anti-technology, Luddite, crank, whatever. If we extract yeah. it from that and just look at the action, is burning a 5G tower because someone is building a massive infrastructure project in your backyard without your input, is that how much different than that is busting out the shop windows in a riot for like a Black Lives Matter movement, right? right? Like to be like, or how much different is that than, um, you know, members of the IWW sabotaging capitalist production? Exactly. Right? Like, like how much different are these things? And what's really different, is it about the intention and the strategy behind the tactic? Is it about the discourses surrounding the action? I mean, mm. I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but like we really do have to see these things as analogs, right? Like burning down 5G towers, busting out the shop windows, sabotaging capitalist production, they're all coming from a very similar kind of 
core. Yeah. Right? And ultimately, like what these narratives that we're buying into, who do they ultimately serve? Right? Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, if we saw, you know, every time there's a, a, a quote unquote riot or some kind of social movement demonstration and, you know, a car gets busted up or a shop window gets busted out, we see, uh, you know, the, the think pieces start rolling off the, you know, the mm-hmm. assembly line saying that like, oh, well, we need to be civil. We need to be civil. We should see the reaction to the, those, those social movements in the same kind of way that we should see the reaction to just completely delegitimizing and discrediting the 5G cranks without actually asking the dialectical materialist question about like, why are they doing this? Where is this coming mm-hmm. from? And what does a materialist technology look like, right? Like the original materialist algorithm is from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And that's exactly. an algorithm. That's an if-then statement. And that's all an algorithm is. So, I mean, I, where's more of those algorithms? I feel like that is the best place for us to wrap this up. That's a great note to end on. I want to thank you Perfect. so much for coming on. This has been such a fantastic um conversation and i feel like people are going to be real jazzed because this is probably not what they expected from us when we said we we're going to do an episode about 5g but haha suckers <laughs> no i mean we didn't even really get into the weeds of like the 5g conspiracy I which know. i was i wasn't sure if we were or not <laughs> but i like that because i think you're right that like this was really a an episode about technological politics yes absolutely uh, and those you we, cannot separate the two i think that's the lesson um no completely not i will say 5g may not give you coronavirus but it's going to give you something a hell of a lot worse my brothers (laughs) (laughs) yeah we didn't even get into my own conspiracy theory about it is that it's all a false flag Ooh, i like that wait 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 lay it on me lay it on me real quick so i mean my own theory is that like um all of the the conspiracies and debate around 5g are astroturfed by the telecom companies um as a false flag to delegitimize and discredit any criticism of their massive monopolistic infrastructure project yes i'm in in. i love it and even if and even if it and even if it isn't actually astroturfed it functionally operates mm. the same exact way. Absolutely. Yeah. It totally does. You're right. Which is the best the best conspiracy is that ultimately intention doesn't matter because the outcome is the same mm. regardless of if there's collusion or not. <laughs> Love it. Well that was <laughs> that rocked. Uh that was uh and I guess this still is. It's not like he's still on the horn here. That this is Jathan Sadowski, the author of two sm- is this book out yet? It came out last month. Oh, amazing. This is uh, the author of Too Smart, How Digital Capitalism is Extracting Data, Controlling Our Lives, and Taking Over the World. Where can people buy this book? Buy it anywhere but Amazon. (laughs) Perfect. That's right. We'll we'll put a little (laughs) link. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Sweet. Um, All right. Well, uh, I will say, uh, I I was going to say something funny technology-wise, but I don't know enough words to do that logging off <laughs> from the cyber zone there we go yes. <laughs>
I cannot believe we got Joe Montana on the podcast. <laughs> what? Wait, which episode is this? <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing. I'm doing the next three months uh, ending things in a row. That was the that was the football <laughs> episode, right? Joe Montana. Yeah, we got Joe Montana. Do you well, like that? What did we talk about? Uh, uh, unfortunately, well, we were supposed to talk about passing. Unfortunately, we just talked about group sex in the 90s. Oh, God. Okay. I let me say, it, unfortunately, I'm the one who'd want to be talking about football. You're the one who'd be want to talk about group sex in the 90s. I've never. First of all, in the 90s, I was a child. So <laughs> I, literally up until 20 fucking 15, I, I was still legally a child. But that's because of court things with my parents. Unfortunately, I was I was a full grown adult at the time. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I, I've never participated in anything like that. That's not what I said. I said you just want to talk about it. Oh no, in football, I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, that rock, though. I love, I love, uh, I love tip tapping on the old keyboards with our cyber, uh, cyber guests. Yeah, me too. We got to do more episodes on technology and finance and stuff like that. I, you know, I can go on forever about all this stuff. You know, I t- I've been trying to get this one guy. In, in, in fact, he was instrumental in the creation of the internet, just in general, not the internet of things. Uh, he is, he's been on Chapo a couple of times. So I'm like, I feel weird about stealing one of their guests, but have you, from, have you heard of Albert Gore? <laughs> this guy, I mean, it's crazy. Cause he's not only smart, but he's a hunk. Um, <laughs> oh God. I mean, Jesus, I know. He's I wanna... got a big face. You know, that's always what I always thought about Al Gore. Huge face. Well, it just again. gets, it's like wider. It's a wide face. I, I'm afraid to chime in again because eventually, uh, after several years of us recording podcasts, this, enough of these will accrue for someone to make a Supercuts YouTube video of us talking shit about big faces. <laughs> First of all, I love a big face. I want to be clear on that. I love a big face. Don't love Al Gore's big face. But to reiterate, when I was younger, my friends and I used to call them super faces. <laughs> super faces. Or say, like, hey, that girl's got a real moon. <laughs> Sometimes you call them moons. You love all women's faces. Are, uh, uh, honestly, 100% down the line, yes. I know. All right. So I'm Liz. My name is Face. Uh, <laughs> We are joined by producer Young Chomsky, and uh, well, that's true and on. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.